Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 154 of the Adoption Connection Podcast. In this episode, we're doing a second live Q&A that took place in our village community. It's just a live, organic conversation about my experience of being a first mom. Yeah, so I think you're really going to enjoy some of the questions that parents had. We had some folks live who got to ask their questions, so you'll hear them uh, just like we had last week. And then a couple folks um, left comments in the village for Lisa to answer, so we'll sprinkle those questions in as well. Um, So without further ado, here's our Q&A with Lisa and her experience as a birth mom. My son recently reconnected with his birth family. Um, He is uh, almost 14. Uh, I guess he has had no contact over the years with the birth family. We've kind of had an open adoption, but it's been more open from my husband and I and um, birth grandma. And so just wondering if Lisa had any advice, sort of do's and don'ts. Um, They did reconnect this summer and he visited them for um, a week um, and plans to head back out there again over um, Christmas. Um, We had some contact, um, birth mom and birth grandma, um, through text, um, all of it very positive, both directions. So, I mean, luckily I don't have like this happened, how can I fix it? Or, um, I wish I wouldn't have said this, or they said this. Luckily they are very, um, supportive. Um, birth mom has said, you know, I can't thank you enough, um, for loving him. And I can't thank you enough for all you've done. And as well as we have, you know, basically positive affirmations, both directions that that is wonderful. Really. It was a, like, if I could have scripted a, a reunion, this would have been it. Um, it couldn't have gone better. And in the days of zoom, cause they're in California and we're in Michigan. So in the days of Zoom, they were able to connect over Zoom and he was able to connect with even aunts and uncles and siblings over Zoom first. And then when he and my husband flew out there, you know, then they could connect in person. And really we felt comfortable enough with them that he stayed with them. And my husband stayed a mile away where his dad and stepmom lived. So, um, and it, it was beautiful. But in any case, back to the question of any you know, sort of do's and don'ts or any advice that you could, um, from a birth mom's perspective, like. I think what's really remarkable is how wonderful you've already done with managing this relationship. I mean, it's been pretty beautiful to see it unfold. And I think something about your open-heartedness for them, I think has already established this trusting relationship. And I think if I'm remembering right, you've had text contact over the years with the family. So it's not like you were complete strangers to each other. You had that relationship already established, but your son is somewhat young. I mean, I think you, you all embraced letting him meet his family 
when he was younger than maybe other people would. Can you remind me how old he is? He turns 14 this this week. Okay, so I think a lot of adoptive parents would say, oh, that's such an unstable time. I don't know if that's a good time to read to introduce his birth family. But I I really love that you did because especially in these teen years, kids have so many questions and to be able to have them answered actually by his birth family, like as adoptive parents, we do our best. But as a birth mom, I know for sure that my son had many questions that his parents could not answer. And of course it was a different era and it was a closed adoption and it was so, so much different. But um, I think at his age, there might be times when you think, wow, that was a little more complicated than it needed to be. But I think he's going to benefit a ton. And to be able to be building this relationship while you're integrated in it, you know, a lot of young people will end up connecting with birth family after they've left their parents' homes. And then it becomes a very separate, like they have a one relationship with birth family and one with adoptive family. And they it's really difficult to figure out how to bring that all together for the adoptee. So I think your timing is actually beautiful. And I can't really think of much more that you should be doing than what you already are, which is really fluid communication and letting your son really get to know his birth family. And yeah, I think you're doing a beautiful job. So, I mean, of course, they're the small things like making a photo album of when he, all his years growing up for the family and things like that. But the big things you're already doing fantastic. Right when this all kind of happened, I mean, my son was really the one who kind of brought it up sort of really, it kind of came together very quickly, like within, he had talked to somebody who was an adult who was adopted, who had not ever met his birth family and it just got him thinking. And then, um, you know, he just said, well, could I call my birth mom? And, you know, could I call my grandma? And like, well, I don't have their phone numbers, but then, you know, we just emailed them. And then the next day he was able to um, Zoom them. And I mean, it kind of just, you know, God just kind of put it all together. Um, but it, right, because this wouldn't have been like the ideal age, but I guess, thankfully, it worked out well. And I think one thing that I had shared with you before, Lisa, was that God really gave me this picture right about when this was all happening that um, my son is not mine. He's not sort of my property, but he's also not the birth mom's property. Really, he's God's son. And really, we all share, you know, we all share him and we all share in a relationship with him. And it made it really easy to not, I don't know, like it, I just it was just so beautiful and I could just enjoy it and I could feel good for him. Not like, Oh no, is he gonna, you know, and I even, you know, was able to tell him and I, and I meant it like, you can call her mom. It's okay. It's okay. Not to, you know, I can be your mom and you can love me and she can be your mom and you can love her. You know, you don't have to love me any less now that you love her. I think helped him. And then I was even able to share that while he was out there with grandma and with birth mom as well, just to kind of reassure them, like, there's not any competition, you know, I'm super happy for, for this all happening. So, and then they would, they were, you know, every, you know, every few hours would send me pictures and what they were doing. And so it was really, it was great. It was, it was beautiful. I think it's good for him. Obviously, I'm white and he's black and his birth family is black. So this is I think this is very important for him to um, 
you know, especially really during this, at this, at this age to develop these relationships and, you know, they can help guide him as a young black man and as he matures. So, yeah, that's really a gift, especially for a transracial adoptee. I think it's even extra gift to have this relationship with his birth family. I think so. I'm really hoping that this summer he might even be able to spend sort of an extended period of time. It's kind of my hope and we'll see what happens, but maybe even like six weeks out there where he can just sort of immerse himself, you know, in their lives and more than just like a one week vacation where you go do all the fun things. Yeah. Well, you know, in contrast for my son, when we reunited, he never was able to truly comfortably share with his parents. Like they knew that he had a relationship with me, but they were not happy. They never um, wanted to have a relationship with me. I did get to meet his mom in person once, but only in a really stressful situation. So um, yeah, I this is so much better. And so I'm really happy for your son. How, um, well, this would take us on a little tangent, but just can you quickly tell me, how are your other kids feeling that he has this? And I don't know if any of the rest of them do. They are happy. And it's funny because on Zoom, you know, so this life of Zoom, right? He could, he has an older brother and he was able to like take the tablet around and say, you know, this older brother, this is my other brother, you know, Darren. And then Darren, this is Dante. And then, well, now your brothers too, you know? <laughs> so we just sort of feel like, you know, we're, we've sort of ex- extended our family, but I will say the three of my boys are adopted from China and Darren, the oldest, the 12 year old of that, we have since um, done a, like a DNA test and tried to, it's not likely anytime soon, but he would, you know, he has ex- um, expressed interest in finding his birth family. So we're starting to do what we can do for him at least now. So, but um, I think everybody's happy, you know, definitely it's been a happy time and yeah, both for my other adopted children and for my biological children. It's been good. It's been positive. And I think maybe too, they're following our lead, but then again, you know, we, we had met them when we first adopted Jason and I I don't know, I I think it, it just, it feels right. It definitely has been a a good full circle. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. All right. Does anyone else have a question? I do. Uh, Lisa, what would be, um, I joined a group that is about, uh, it's more adoptee birth mom group. Somebody recommended joining it. Um, and it's been really interesting. Um, and sometimes can be kind of hard, but what for you would be, and I don't want to, it's a hard thing to say, because I want to say what would be the most hurtful thing for somebody to do, but I don't want to hurt you. So I want to not do that. <laughs> but what would be, you know, something that would just really set you up to be very defensive and, and kind of just want you to close off the, the extended family and maybe not the adoptee, because I really like how you can blend the families, because I think that would be the best for the kids. And so what I don't want to do is if it's ever possible, we're, we're going to start looking hopefully in China too. Um, but I don't want to, and I realize there'll be differences from cultural and things like that, but what would be, what would be things not to, to do? 
you know, if we go into the relationship with fear and with feeling like as the adoptive parents, we have to control it. I think the birth parents are, are already in the weakest, most vulnerable position because as a birth mom, we have zero power. You know, we, we can't choose to have a relationship with the adoptive family. We can't choose to have a relationship with our child. We only get what we're given. And so knowing that there's this um, openness to actually want to connect and want to know us and know our story and let our child, their child, our child, really be able to sort of relax into the relationship. I think that's the best gift you can give, you know? And then of course, like with my son, really, it wasn't like his mom mailed me pictures. Basically all I could do was sort of like scavenge them off of Facebook or, you know, things like that. He sent me pictures at times over the years, but um, mostly I felt a bit like a beggar who just got the crumbs, whatever I was allowed to have. So I think just being open-hearted and generous is the best thing. And then just remember that for the birth mom, losing her child was probably extremely traumatic, no matter the circumstances, you know? And, and so when this possibility of having a relationship with their child presents itself, the fear of losing them again, I think could be substantial and so a lot of reassurance, you know, like even, even like with my son, originally my hope was actually to have a relationship with his mom because I knew he was young and, you know, I didn't know how much he'd care about having a relationship with me at first, but if I'd had a relationship with her, I would have known I would never lose him again, you know? And instead my relationship was built with a very young adult <laughs> and he could disappear for long periods of time. And there was, I didn't have another adult to connect with, to know, Hey, is he doing okay? Is there anything I can do to help? Things like that. So building the relationship between the moms is really important or the parents, I should say, not just moms. I apologize for coming in late. So I hope I don't um, kind of back up and repeat. I'm so thankful that you guys are doing this today. Um, so you may remember our son just turned 15 He's kind of at the height of really being confused about his identity and where he fits in. And um, over the last month told me that he went on to Ancestry.com and started kind of filling in some information. And I thought, okay, here's the clue. He's ready for more information. So um, we, because he was adopted from Guatemala, we have a decent amount of, of bio information and including a picture. So he had read the information before. It didn't really mean that much to him, but he now has this picture, which we started off as kind of real low key, but then I offered him a little frame and now it's framed and next to his bed. Um, and so because of his age, I guess I'm curious about, I know you just answered Sandy in terms of the time frame, you know, age wise, but because, because he was born in another country and I feel like we have enough information that if he wanted to search, we could probably find them. But part of me is also afraid because of everything that's happened at the border over the last few years that will that end up being potentially much more complicated for him because maybe he has some family members that are here and are in dire circumstances. And then I, I, I don't know, I'm, I, 
I want to follow his lead, but I'm also nervous about it becoming even more of an identity crisis because he knows he has um, one biological brother that's still uh, in the home country that has some um, uh, developmental difficulties that, that would not be able to come on his own. But he also has a brother that's just two years older. And so there's a chance that, you know, that that boy's here and we don't know it. And so he's not asked to do like a DNA test, but I'm trying to prep myself for that because my dream would be what you just said, Lisa. My dream would be to meet his biological mother and to have a relationship with her. And I just think it would be wonderful. And I'm learning Spanish or trying to learn Spanish so that, you know, in preparation for that day to come at some point. But I don't want to put my desire for that to happen someday on him either. You know, I want him to be able to kind of lead. So I don't know anything you guys can speak to regarding that circumstance would be great. Well, I'd be interested to hear Melissa's thoughts about that as an adoptee. I do think it's important to let him lead. And then I guess in terms of fears of what could happen and if you're opening up, you know, this can of worms, it could either happen while he's still with you again, like I said to Sandy, or it can happen when he's like gone to college or moved out on his own. And I think seeing your parents' uh, willingness to support you, even if it gets messy and complicated, is actually a really, it, it builds a lot of trust. And yeah, I mean, things could turn out really super messy, but again, better to be dealing with hard, messy stuff when you've got a mom and dad to help you than when you don't. So I, I would let him lead though. I wouldn't push ahead of him. You know, like, I think there'd be a temptation on my part, like, okay, I'm going to check it all out first. Like I'm going to find them and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, you know, I guess I can't tell other people what to do, but um, I think doing it side by side is probably better, even if it might mean there are some hard things, some sad things. I still think there's something um, really good about letting him take the lead. I was just telling Melissa earlier that I have a very good friend who is a um, a woman now. She's a grown up and she has children. And, and in her case, her birth mom contacted her in a very sudden, unexpected way. And it really spun her into a tough place. And I think had she, you know, maybe it could have gone differently if it had happened where she was able to take the lead a little more and have the support. And her parents were totally supportive, but because she didn't have any, she wasn't prepared for it. She wasn't prepared to process it. So I think it's taken years for her to kind of get there, you know? So anyhow. I, yeah, I think if he's interested, I would, I would probably step into it, just take small steps, you know, and then if he gets to a point where he's like, I don't know if I want to do more, you can say, well, would you like me to go ahead and find out more, you know, even if you don't want to have contact or something like that. I think that's a good point, because usually I'm a control, I want to know all this information. But in this case, I feel like I don't, I think I would want to find it out at the same time as him, because I wouldn't want to have a preconceived notion on what my reaction would be. And I wouldn't want to be the one responsible for telling it to him. I would want him to find it out. Like you said, with me kind of walking alongside him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that'd be great. What do you think, Melissa? Yeah, I think, well, 
I mean, I'll, I'll preface it by saying our family motto for Patrick and me and the way we've raised our kids has always been like the truth and being upfront with our kids has always been better, like than trying to avoid the hard. And um, I don't know how we landed there. We kind of both agreed to that kind of unspokenly as we kind of stepped into these crazy waters. And, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't really forward thinking about this. We were just putting one foot in front of the other. Right. And we didn't think about what would we do if we could, be in touch with birth family or what would happen if my birth parents, you know, found me all of a sudden. Um, but I think just in general that we want to, we don't want to parent in a way that just is out to protect our kids because we, we want to kind of have life be the way life is. And like Lisa was mentioning, walk through it with them. Like we don't, you know, we've, we've never protected our kids from, funerals or people dying or hard conversations about what's going on in the world. You know, we've just, we've wanted to, you know, present it in a way that they feel resilient towards kind of navigating tricky things. And so I think that kind of applies to the situation. And I think communicating with your son, you know, these are some things that I'm kind of worried about. I don't know that they're going to come to fruition, but you know, this, this could be tricky waters. And so maybe just setting that up and And maybe having a plan, you know, if this gets too tricky, you know, let's, let's be in open communication. Like you have the power to put the brakes on or to ask me to help you process or, you know, and I would also say, if you have a trusted mental health person, you know, be checking, you know, like now's not the time to be like, I think we're good on therapy. We don't need, you know, like you don't have to be going weekly, but if you're going to enter into these waters, I think it's always great to have a third party who's knowledgeable and caring and objective, a little bit more objective, right. To help all of you manage whatever big emotions come from whatever, you know, and even the things that we're kind of surmising might happen, probably none of those things will happen. And a hundred things that we never thought possible might. (laughs) Yeah, I totally get that. I love, I, I love that perspective. I appreciate you guys framing it that way for me it helps take away my fear. Cause like you just said, I can't control well my other. It could be wonderful. It could be. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, I always say probably the worst parenting decisions I've ever made are the ones I've made in fear, you know, where I was trying to control something or, you know, I held one of my kids back in some way or just a lot of things. And so I think when we can, especially as people of faith, if we can, release that fear and trust God that he loves our kids even more than we do. And, you know, it's really sad to me that my son didn't get to have that with me and with his parents, because I would have loved it, you know, and, but I think they had too much fear, you know, and so they couldn't give up that control. So even as an adult, he did not share with them about our relationship. And that's not what I want. I've got adult kids now, and I don't want them to have secrets that they feel they can't trust me to hold, you know? So how much better, you know, for us to be able to be open. And interestingly, even as a birth mom, before I ever knew that I'd have a relationship with my son again, we were open with our children that I'd had a son before I'd met their dad, you know, we, of course, we didn't have to explain a lot of details when they were really little, 
and not that we ever explained a ton, but, um, you know, we just thought we don't want to have a big secret that someday comes out like some cousin saying, well, did you know that your mom got sent away and she had a baby? You know, like that was, there's no way I wanted that to happen. So we were just open from the time that they were little. And I'm really glad for that. Lisa, I have a question. I'm imagining there are people listening, thinking, well, this is all fine and well. Like if, if Lisa had been our children's birth mom, you know, and we had known and we could trust and, or Sandy, you know, you guys obviously have a certain amount of trust with your son's birth family. And they're obviously stable enough for your young teenage son to go and spend time, even extended amount of time. What would you say, Lisa, to families where birth mom or birth family are like, there is a lot of fear around either stability or safety or some other, like, how do we have, how do we not let fear crowd in to these conversations and our thoughts and feelings about birth family and as much openness as possible, because that's obviously what we're promoting through this. If there's, you know, these stability or safety issues. Well, first of all, I would not assume that if there were those safety issues back when your child was born, that they're still exactly the same. Like I would definitely explore a lot more because people do change and people do heal and people do grow up, you know, and all kinds of other things. So I would definitely try to get as much information as you can to determine really the level of concern that you need to have. And then I would say, I mean, unless someone is definitely harmful, I would still try to build those bridges if my child wanted it. Even if, and if my child's young, like living in my home, you know, I would put boundaries around it. Like I would not let, if I were concerned about addiction or severe mental health problems, I wouldn't just send my child off to meet their birth family, you know, on their own. So I think it's, we are responsible for our children as adoptive parents. And so it is up to us to keep them safe when there is a true potential threat, you know? So I'd say do our research and maybe in that case, parents need to connect with each other first before you let your child meet them. But, um, allow as much openness as you possibly can within the boundaries of what is actually safe. I think it is a little bit different when you have a different country you have to go to and it's um, you want to look into it. Um, And I also think that our circumstances, um, since we have a Chinese adoption that, uh, you know, Chances are they pro- they may not have willingly given up their child. I think that's very, very probable. Um, so I think the circumstances will be interesting. Um, I think the only fear I have is, is that one kid will find their parents and the other one won't. That's, that's probably my biggest fear. Um, I would like for both of them to be able to have a relationship with their family. It's why I sent them to an immersion school to learn Mandarin and I need to start myself. Um, but what advice would you give? I think I've kind of used as my compass is just looking at the lives of a lot of my adult adoptee friends and all of them 
have looked for their birth families. All of them, not one has not looked. Um, and so that's, that's kind of helped me think that I think there's always the curiosity and the question of just wanting to know who's like you and where you came from. And I want to be supportive of that. And so the question of let them lead, my daughter has always been very actively saying she wants to find them. And just the other day, she came out and said, I don't want to find them anymore. And I'm not sure what changed. And I was just getting ready to start um, searching with a, uh, a group that is doing some active, active searching things. So should I, or should I just ask her and say, were you really serious? Because I have no problem doing that. Do you really not want to start or do you really want me to start? Because it's not probably going to happen instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, when you were talking before you said that about your daughter's maybe change of heart, um, I was thinking I would really do them separately, totally separately. Like mm-hmm. do one of them, the one who's most interested and don't do any searching for the other. Let that one unfold. And because they're it, both interested. I wonder though. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to get other people's thoughts, but I think it could be a lot to support two kids at yeah. the same time through reunion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it yeah. could be a very emotional ride, but you could also do the searching and the connecting if you find both and then right. do the meeting at the same time. If you know, if that's where everybody lands, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a very emotional thing yeah. or it can be. You know, there are always adoptees like Melissa. I don't know how emotional she would be because she's just wired <laughs> different. Like I'm all about feelings. So, you know, um, for me, it was very intensely emotional for me. Mm-hmm. And Russ and I look back now and think, man, I needed, I needed some professional help and support through mm-hmm. that. And I didn't have it. And yeah. I, I needed it, especially because my son contacted me. Mm-hmm. without telling his parents. And then it just all blew up in a very, very big way. So um, anyhow, I would ask your daughter, I would say, you know, I think this is about how long it's going to take. You'll probably be this old, maybe before we even, I mean, nobody knows. Right. Do you really not want me to search right now? Or would you like me to just take some little steps and just let her, but if she says, don't do it. I don't think I would. Okay. Well, and it's interesting because she said, don't search. And then she said in the next, next breath, can we go to China next summer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's 12. Yeah. And- she's 12. But um, yeah. Susan, do you so, think yeah. she doesn't understand that if you search, it doesn't mean she has to meet? Like maybe. Have a- no, that's a good. That's I probably have not explained that. Well, I mean, the one thing I have told them, I said, you know, if we find them, it's going to take. And I said, if I would, and especially with COVID, I've said, if they find, if we find them during COVID, we can't go till COVID's over anyway. But yeah, I, you know, she probably doesn't have any idea. So we should probably talk through. Maybe explain to her how much control she would have over the situation Mm -hmm. and that you would check with her every step of the way and that, you know, yeah that you could hold the information. And even if you knew it, she wouldn't have to know it all or, you know, Mm -hmm. but there's also like a window of opportunity, right? Where. Well, and I really, I really believe, and I could be wrong because I'm not an adoptee, but I really believe the younger 
we find them, the longer it's going to be normal. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to be able to process it more and differently. And they're going to be able to build, have a better opportunity to be able to build the relationship that they want. And what they want may not be the same relationship that their birth parent want, um, which I think is heartbreaking for everybody. Um, Am I frozen? It's just something I'm really thinking about is what is, is going to be easiest for, and it's not going to be easy no matter how we look at it. It's going to be complicated and there'll be lots of feelings. So yeah, I do. Lots of feelings, but I think you're on the right track. You're, you're open to it. I mean, I think the openness and the willingness is just so important. Well, and I've just seen how important it was to my friends and I can't imagine not letting my kids have the same opportunity. I mean, I guess since I've, I've known about them, I've always wanted to see if we could find their birth parents. And I probably was more interested than they were when they were younger, but now they both have expressed that they do want to find. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a very rare birth parent who wouldn't want to know that their child was loved and that their child was yeah. doing well. I mean, I mean, that that's all I wanted for years and years and years yeah. until my son came back into my life. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't even know if he was alive. I mean, you have to imagine yeah. these parents know nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. and it's a horrible, unresolvable grief in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you're looking into it. Yep. I like the idea of creating them a book of the kids. That's a great idea. I wonder, Lisa, if it's not too personal, how, how old was your son? I think you said young adult. How old was he when he found you? He contacted me when he was 16. Okay. So not. Yeah. But, but it was a, I mean, it was a long time ago and it was a big surprise. I don't know that he realized quite what he was opening up, you know, when he reached out to me and because he wasn't able to communicate with his parents about it, he just sort of did it without, he kept it a secret. And then, you know, it just got really, really dark and difficult but yeah, but he said he'd always wanted to know yeah. and he always had questions. He never knew. Like when he found out he was Irish, he was like, wow, I'm Irish. His family's very Italian. And so finding out he was Irish was this thing. He really wanted to know what I had named him and finding out what I'd named him kind of, it was this really amazing thing because he and his sister, when they used to play, I had named him Christopher. That was not his name that his parents gave him. When they used to play, the name he would choose for his makeup name was Chris. Wow. And so there were all these things that were really, and finding out where he got his height, all kinds of stuff. It really meant so, so much to him. But then navigating the real life relationship, that was hard. (laughs) Again, I think maybe we know more information, certainly more than a closed adoption and probably more than a a China adoption because we have a, a decent amount of information. I mean, not only does he know, his what what his name was but he knows siblings names and you know address and so forth but i all i often wonder just because it's kind of come up over the years whether 
meeting her at a teenage age would add, would make him feel, and I wonder if your son felt this way, like he now had to prove something to you? Like, does, do, do, do you think, for Melissa, like, does an adoptee feel this pressure to, like, prove to their birth parents, look how great I am, you made the right decision by giving me this opportunity? Does it add a level of pressure? I can probably answer that a little bit from my son. I think for him, I never felt, he never expressed that kind of pressure. I think he felt tremendous relief. He just felt relieved that it wasn't the story he'd always imagined, you know, of who I was or why I gave him up. You know, he didn't have those answers. And so he was very relieved, I think, to meet me and know the true story. You know, and later to meet his birth father, too, because I was able to connect them. I think he felt more pressure to live up to what his parents wanted than maybe I did. Yeah, maybe I'm putting that on him. I'm just thinking there's a different level of pressure because we know, at least in the home study, that the that the birth mother says, you know, she wants and to have an opportunity in the United States that she knew that she could not provide in terms of education and so Mm -hmm. forth. And um, he's at a stage right now where he is, I don't want to go to college. I don't really care about school. You know, we we think this is a temporary thing that he's going through and we're just trying to embrace it. But I wonder, like, would that be an added level of pressure? I I guess, I guess maybe that pressure is already there because he's read that report. He knows that, Mm-hmm. That's what she at least told a social worker in terms of kind of the, the rationale. It might um, relieve the pressure because it would give, instead of just this paper where he's like Lisa was mentioning, making up all these pieces of the story and making up all this pressure. And I'm sure his birth mom probably didn't mean it to be pressure like that. And so a dynamic back and forth between them might help him realize, oh, she doesn't really actually care what I do in my adult life as long as I'm happy and safe and, and she might be able to affirm him in whatever, you know, whatever that is. Um, And then I think Mm -hmm. a lot, you know, we obviously talk a lot about the Enneagram here, the adoption connection. And I think a lot has to do with what your motivations are. I mean, I have never felt a ton of pressure ex like from the exterior from anyone, my parents, teachers, like a, a ton, like a little bit here and there, but that hasn't been my driving motivation. Um, but I think that's not necessarily true of, you know, some other types on the Enneagram that I think are a little bit more focused on their effect on other people and what other people are thinking about them. And so I think personality also plays a piece into that, you know, where do I feel my pressure from? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you can be pretty sure that she's going to be very proud of him no matter what. And that, you know, she's just going to, I, my guess is she's going to think he's quite amazing, you know? And so I, he might actually feel really good. Like a high school education in the United States, that is nothing to look, think is not enough. That's a big deal for a lot of people. Okay, Lisa. So Holly asked this question in the village. I would love to get your perspective on us seeking out information about BioDad. We have a very open adoption. I would really like to ask 
the birth mom for information and to try to even contact birth dad's parents to see if we can find out more. But it feels like a line I can't cross. What's your perspective on asking for more information that only the birth mom has? Okay, well, I happen to know a little bit about Holly's story. They do have a very open adoption. It's really beautiful with their son's first mom. They see her every week. They have a relationship with her extended family. And so she, I think this question comes actually from a place of deep respect for her son's first mom. And she wants to be sensitive to this relationship and sensitive to the mom and kind of protect the relationship. I think that unless there's a dramatic reason why his, your son's first mom would not want you to talk to her about this, I would talk to her about it because you already have this beautiful relationship built upon a lot of trust and a lot of kindness. And so I would approach her with, you know, explaining why it matters, why it matters that your son, your, even your joint son, her son, your son should know about his history and who he is and who he comes from. And if she's really nervous about the the dad himself, maybe she would be open to sharing something about his parents. And, you know, we just don't know what could possibly open up and what could be gained from the conversation and the contact. I was uh, talking with Melissa right before we recorded this. And I was saying that when my son first came back into my life, he was 16 years old and he um, wanted to know some things about his birth father. And I was really nervous and I was really uncomfortable about it because he hadn't been in my life in decades, you know? And well, oh wait, I should back up and say, he came into my life at 16. It wasn't until quite many years later that he was asking for information or contact with his his birth dad. And so originally I was sort of the go-between, like the birth father sent a letter to my son through me and all this stuff. Well, they had an instant connection (laughs) And so very quickly, I realized I could not control this relationship and I had to just let it be what it was. So I did have fears and maybe your son's mom, Holly, will have some fears as well. But I still think going to her first and letting her speak into this decision and contribute whatever she wants is important. And if she is totally opposed, then you're going to have to consider how important it is to you at this time, because her feelings may change and, you know, maybe wait a year and revisit it. And I mean, eventually you'll have to do what you need to do for your son. But anyhow, that was a very long answer, but I'm processing it with you. Okay. Joey, also a member of the village has two young children and they have an open relationship with both first mom and uh, grandparents on that side of the family. Because they live in different states, there's not a lot of in-person contact. Um, and there seems to be a lot of insecurity on both birth mom and grandparents side that communication might be cut off or there might be less communication. Um, she also mentioned in the question that her kids you know, struggle to connect with folks, not just first mom and grandparents, but anyone over things like Zoom or FaceTime, you know, that they do much better in person. And so she was just wondering from you, Lisa, as a birth mom, is there anything or was there anything that you think she could do to just help relieve some of that insecurity about communication? I think it sounds like she's already verbally saying, you know, we want you guys 
in our kids' lives, but there still seems to be some insecurity. Okay, well, let me first speak to the really simple question about the fact that a five and six-year-old don't really like being on FaceTime and don't maybe care very much about it. I would say that's a hundred percent normal. I can only handle so much FaceTime and I am an older adult. So I have a friend who's very brilliant at this. She's a grandma. And so what she does is she gets on FaceTime and she actually plays games with her grandkids. So simple things like, I don't know, go fish, crazy. It's whatever. And like, they'll have a matching card decks or matching board games in front of them. And so it's something they can actually do together because kids are only going to sit and chat for so long when they're five, you know? So first of all, I would recognize that the kids aren't going to want to hang out on FaceTime and that that's okay. And maybe try to build in, or maybe the grandparent or the parent would want to read a book to them or something. So try to do some things that would get them there for more than maybe 15 seconds. Um, secondly, in terms of reassuring the birth family that you are committed to a relationship with them. I think I said earlier in response to a question that the truth is that the birth family has quite literally zero power, zero. They are in the weakest position in the whole triad. And so their fears are completely understandable. And, you know, you at this point have the most power as the adoptive parent. And so I think all you can do is continually reassure them that you value them and that they're a really important part of your kids' lives. And year by year, as you faithfully stay committed to that relationship, hopefully their fears will begin to diminish. I don't know that there's much you can do because it is such a deep primal fear. Like losing a child is it's just so devastating and it's just not meant to happen. And so that wound is not just going to magically heal up. And so the fear of losing them again is very, very real. So I would just be faithful and just keep reassuring them and keep connecting with them. And hopefully over time, some of those fears will, will diminish. Thanks. I mean, that's kind of the story of our kids, right? Too. They come to us with so many insecurities about, whether it's safe to attach to us or trust us. And there's only so much we can do, but a lot of it happens over time, you know, mm-hmm. repeated interactions and experiences that show we can be trusted and we're safe people. So, yeah. Thanks. Well, we're really glad you were able to join us to listen to that Q and a if you were listening and you were thinking, man, I have a question for Lisa or, you know, I have a follow-up question based on the conversation they had. We would love for you to join us in the village. These are the types of great conversations we get to have every single week, sometimes multiple times a week with folks. Uh, we gather as just moms. We Greg hosts groups for just dads. We do things that are behavior focused. Sometimes we have special trainings and guest speakers where you all uh get to hear the content and then interact with the presenter and, you know, get answers that are really relevant to your family. So we just, it's such a great group. I know folks there feel um, really supported. They've made a lot of great connections. We love our time. Uh, We love spending time with you guys in the village. So if you'd like to find out more about joining the village, you can go to the adoption connection.com slash village. 
Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. Our new Instagram handle is at postadoptionresources. Or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.